Well, hello, hello. Welcome to the TAO Intentions Podcast. Welcome to the TAO Intentions Podcast. I am your host this evening, Orchid Brown. Our guest this evening is Osvaldo Genti. He is a financial planner here in Ottawa, and we are here today to talk about his journey to becoming a financial planner. What is a financial planner? What do they do? And then we'll also break off and talk about generational wealth and how a financial planner can help you to get there. Welcome, Osvaldo. Thank you for having me, Orchid. Wonderful. So what I'm going to have you do for the audience today is tell us about yourself and your background, and you can lead with your f- name in full. My name is Osvaldo Jetty, as you guys may already know. Um, I was born in Haiti, and I came to Canada when I was approximately six years old. I was raised mainly French, so I went to a French school pretty much all my life until I went to university. So I went to Carleton University where I decided to study in English because I really enjoyed playing basketball. And at that time, I basically made my decision for basketball and I didn't want to let the language aspect affect where I was going to go to school. So Carleton at that time had the best basketball program and also had the courses that I wanted to do or the career that I wanted to pursue. So I also did a double major in accounting and in finance while I was playing basketball at Carleton. I graduated in 2007 from Carleton and I directly went to go play professional basketball in Europe for six years. So from 2007 to 2013. And then once I decided to retire, I always wanted to retire at 30. So once I decided to retire at that age, I went directly into being an uh, advisor at RBC Dominion Securities, where I was doing commodities, futures, option, as well as individual stocks and individual bonds. In 2015, I decided to make a change. Um, I was part of a group at RBC Dominion Securities and I needed to be my own boss. I needed to do my own business, have my own processes. So I had a few ideas on how I could do that. And in the bank, I had the opportunity to basically be in control of my own, own destiny and how my businesses ran. So even though it was very, very difficult for me at that point in time, there was a little bit of fear there as well. But in my career, I felt that fear was just a short-term obstacle and I needed to to move forward. And so what I did is I went to the bank in 2015 and essentially I have my own financial planning business inside the bank. We're called Investment and Retirement Planners. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. And then uh, again, thank you for having me and I look forward to, to hearing a little bit more about this. Okay, wonderful. Um, so before I get into any questions going forward, I just wanted to let you know what the TAO Intentions podcast uh, means and what it's about. TAO stands for The Ambitious Obsession, uh, which is um, my platform. That's the name of it, as well as a YouTube channel. And so we also, I also wanted to use this podcast episode to focus on living intentionally. That could be being intentional about your career, where you're going, the type of business that you choose, the type of life that you live. Intentions is what drives us. And when we're intentional about our lives, we tend to succeed. And so I like to bring guests onto the podcast episode who have lived their life intentionally. And based on the person I met 
you know, back in the day, you were very driven, very focused, and very determined to succeed in life. So you actually fit the category of someone who is intentional about their lives. And you also fit the definition of the ambitious obsession. So now that you understand that a little bit better about what this podcast is really about and why you were invited to be on this podcast, I wanted to ask why Carleton? Why did you choose to go to Carleton University? Oh, that's a great question. Carleton was an interesting decision for me. I I always wanted to be a part of something great. I always wanted to leave a, a legacy. But for me, leaving a legacy is about the challenges and the difficulties that comes with it, right? The cut that comes with the process. Carlton at that point in time had never won a national championship. And I had a great relationship with Dave Smart, which who is the head coach at Carlton. So in 2002, when I was graduating, I had already played under Dave Smart for a provincial team. And I really loved the way that he was as a person. He was a very honest individual. He knew basketball and he was literally obsessed with winning, with getting better, with details. And I just thought it was a right fit personality wise for me. Okay. And so- also mm-hmm. and also it was about the challenge. It was about the challenge. You know, I didn't want to go to a team that are that had already won national championships. I wanted to create something that was long lasting and, and, you know, really have a legacy, right? And what better way to have a legacy when you're not going into a program that's already won 10 championships, but building something that has zero championships that now is literally, I think they might be 15 out of the last 18 championships. All right. So I assume that you you were given a scholarship then straight out of high school for Carleton University specifically? So what happens is that Carleton, in Canada, you cannot give athletic scholarships, but you can have bursaries based on your grades. My grades coming out of high school were very, 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 very good. So I ended up having quite a bit of bursaries going into university. Ah, so you were a nerd. something like that I think once we keep on going with the questions you'll see I have a a little bit of nerd in me definitely all right okay there was a few things that you had mentioned um, in your introduction. You said that you uh, came from Haiti when you were six years old. Now that you've been in yes. Canada for a really long time, do you visit back home often? I've visited a few times. I visited when I was 15 years old and I visited another time when I was playing pro. My experience with Haiti has always has always been great. Um, it was my parents love going back. They go back almost every year. Mm-hmm. But Haiti recently, I haven't gone back much, just because it's been in such turmoil, you know. So it, it's not really somewhere safe to go to go right now. There's been kidnappings and so on. So I haven't gone back at least for the last seven to eight years uh, since I've been since I played pro. All right. I do hope that uh, whatever's going on in Haiti, and I've been seeing a lot of things on the news um, about Haiti, and uh, there are a lot of the Haitian community or people from the Haitian community that I, that I know specifically have been trying to do their part, um, you know, gathering food and clothing and trying to have it sent down to Haiti. So I really do hope that that 
these series of unfortunate events that just keep centering around Haiti will somehow stop and give the, the people some peace, in, in my opinion. When you, um, the times that you did go back home to visit your family and where you came from, what did you love about Haiti? If I could define it in one word, I could say one word that you know, made me fall in love with the country and the people is the amount of resiliency that they have, right? So resiliency for me would be that word. Just from everything that they've gone through, they're still able to succeed and be happy because of their resiliency. My parents have always been very strong-minded, strong-willed people, were very, very hardworking people. But I didn't really understand of what where that came from until I visit, visited my home. The other thing that I want people to understand about Haiti is that it's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful country. And the things that we see on the news, the things that we see on the Discovery Channel, it, it doesn't give the country the credit that it deserves, right? It's something that's really, really beautiful. We don't see the good parts enough. I think we have to just do a better job of telling people about it, making people that understand that as much as there are bad bad parts, which there are in every country, there are all also tremendous good parts as well. Yes, I definitely understand that. Um, all right, so we would like to understand Osvaldo a little bit better. Or would you prefer to be called Waldo? Oz is good. Huh? I don't think there's anybody that calls me Waldo other than my brother and my best friend since I was 10 years old. So uh, <laughs> Oz is just great. Oz is just great. You're the great Oz. All right, got it. What have you learned from your culture that you have carried with you on your journey? Again, it's it's based mainly on the hard work and determination. My parents, my dad worked three jobs. My mom worked two jobs while taking care of, of two kids. And they never complained one day. My wow. parents didn't always have the, the means that certain people do have now, right? I could even say that we, we came from a poor family. But as a kid, I never felt that I needed anything. I didn't feel like I, I never went hungry. I was always closed. And you just, that was your normal, right? You, you're raised that way where you just are grateful for everything that you have. You're grateful to be in a safe country. Um, the level of hard work and no excuses, determination that I think my parents have, I think that's that's what's made me have the success that I have today. I think I couldn't have, I couldn't have even imagined being able to do the stuff that I did if I didn't have them as a role model to really not have any excuses. My parents never wanted to hear, right? They Their biggest thing is, it's just life and you need to figure it out. All right. So it sounds to me, you know, that your parents had, had placed drive in you and purpose Absolutely. and wanted you to <laughs> succeed where no, not very many people have succeeded. Exactly. They just wanted to give me a chance. They just wanted to give my brother and I a chance to, to do something great, to be part of the one percenter, right? The, the one percenter that, that got out, right? Uh, in terms of culture, they were very, 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 very strict, but they installed, instilled some great values in us that I think would prepare us for anything that, that we faced in life. So again, for me, it's I just appreciate them so much. They they are the ones that made all the sacrifices to be able to give us a chance at a better life. Mm, 
I understand that. I understand that. And you just want to make them proud as well. I know how much, I don't know, I remember from uh, speaking to you a uh, time that we worked together in the past where when you speak about your mom, it's just with so much love and devotion and you just seem like you really just wanted to make her proud. And so I really just felt like that was another motivator of why you were so focused, so determined and you just never gave up. You never accepted any excuses for anything that went wrong. It was just get it done. So I figured she was she was the, the main, your main. <laughs> Exactly. All right, perfect. So you also mentioned that you did finance. Was uh, there any other programs that you were looking to do in Carlton when you were there other than finance? When I was there, no. I think, again, based on my background, based on my culture, my parents always taught me once you start something to never finish, uh, to, to always finish it, right? So I was never that kid that, you know, would start in finance and then decide that I want to be in law. They always really sat me down and said, look, you, you have the chance here to do something great. Make sure that you take time, think about your decision thoroughly with the information that you have. But one, you can choose whatever you want, but once you make the decision to go with finance or go with accounting, then that's the way you should go. Maybe it's not exactly how people see it nowadays or this generation necessarily, right? Because you want people to not feel like they're stuck in one direction. But for me, it, it, it never felt like I was stuck, right? I, I worked hard trying to make the right decision. And once I made the decision, I felt, I felt happy. I felt content with the decision that I had made to be in finance and to be an accountant. So I, in high school, I debated between being a lawyer, being a doctor, and um, and yeah, those were the two other things I was thinking of doing, mm-hmm. doctor, lawyer, and then finance and accounting. Okay. I like the doctor and lawyer part. I feel like whenever I speak to every Haitian family member or families, they're always encouraging their kids to either grow up to be a doctor or a lawyer, and I thought that was really funny that, you know, that was one that was on your list. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, I think most Caribbean's families want you to be successful, and sometimes what they define as success in terms of um, status and money is that doctor and lawyer or professions, right? So yes, I do. The one thing I do love about what you did just share um, was the fact that you, if you start something, you finish. You don't just stop midway and decide to switch your profession and you know what that's something that i I noticed that hasn't really been a trend where people just start something and finish it a lot of people start and then they maybe drop out or they switch to something else or they switch to something else but you were you were very intentional in what you decided to do where you were going with it and you stuck it out and so i really do appreciate that yeah i, I think it's a it, it's an interesting thing right because there's there's always a balance between that right you you don't want to be stuck so much in something and do something that you hate so you still want the option to be able to move make, or make a different move or change your career path right but at the same time i feel like we're too much about quick satisfaction or the short-term satisfaction and we're not able to deal in our society today just with the, the hurdles and the difficulties that it, it takes to get there right for me i i always tell people look there's never been something that i've been passionate about like truly truly passionate about that hasn't been difficult so if i always 
jump ship as soon as it becomes difficult, thinking that the next thing will make me happier because it's, it's going to be easier. That never really truly happened, right? So for me, it's always been, okay, you know, really take time to figure out what you want um, and go at it full strength, give you 110% while, with the understanding that it will be difficult. And there's some days you may not love what you do, but you keep on going as long as it's overall makes you happy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. I really do. All right. So why did you decide to become a financial planner? That's an easy one. I decided to do it essentially to help people like my mother. I mean, oh. She doesn't come from a lot of money, and I felt that she wasn't quite educated on all the things, all the options that that you have, right? And I wanted a chance to be able not to only help people that already have money or that are already high net worth, but the people that need to learn, that is just starting out, maybe, you know, with... Sorry, with $500, with $10,000, it doesn't necessarily, you don't need to be a millionaire for me to work with you. It just, you know, you can start with $500. You can start with $1,000. As long as you understand how to benefit from all the different options, right? My parents didn't even know about our ESPs when I was growing up and how the government grant can literally give you 20, free 20% from the get-go, right? They didn't understand that the way that you build wealth is by making money while you're sleeping. And those are the things that I really wanted to educate my clients on. And that's basically why I became a financial planner. All right. I really like that. It's I the, the fact that you wanted to be in a position where you were able to help people from within the community. And you know what what you what you shared is quite true. A lot of of people from the African community, island community, communities all over aren't aware of money that they could they could receive through financial planning and so a lot of immigrants just believe if you work hard it's just going to happen everything is just going to fall into place but eventually you will have to retire and you're going to look back and think oh my god i dedicated 30 years of my life to this job and i have no plan the pension that i have coming in isn't enough you know what i mean so i do i do understand where you're coming from and i I do appreciate that your motivation for being a financial planner is to truly support and and educate your family and help them to get to the comforts that they need to come the comfort they need to get to because of how hard they've worked and you've watched them work that's right (laughs) all right so why choose you over all the financial planners in ottawa what differentiates you from the rest which i if you don't want to answer this question you don't have to because based on everything that you have shared already you've kind of already sold yourself but I just, I still wanted to kind of ask that question to see if maybe you'll have a different response. I think what differentiates me is the level of care and my process. I mean, anybody can can pick a good stock, right? Anybody can, you know, the investment side is, is such the easiest part. But I think the discovery process, truly taking the time to understand the goal the objectives and what matters most to the clients is the part that's that's the most important, right? By far, you know, understanding when they come to you and there's a marriage breakdown and how does that affect their finance? Understanding that maybe their most important objective or their most important goal is making sure that their kids have enough money to go to school and they don't have that. Another aspect might be the estate planning aspect, making sure that they're leaving generational wealth to their grant 
to the grandkids and the grand the grand grandkids and so on and so on, right? Or them having a succession plan for their business. You know, so everything that I've spoken of, or them being even ready ready for their retirement, right? People come to me and say, you know, am I ready to, to retire? That has nothing to do with, with investment. It has a lot more to do of where you are now and where you want to be and how do we get you how do we get you there in between, right? And what type of lifestyle that you want to live. The investment aspects, once I understand who you are, your objective, your goals, what's most important to you, then it's really easy to do the investments part. Okay. So when when you began your career, especially in the your in your entrepreneurial career in the banking system, did you begin your career as a customer service representation or did you transition from there to become a financial planner? How how exactly did the process work? No, not not at all. Never customer service. I was very very fortunate. So I was recruited to do this job when I was in school, but then I said, you know, basketball has a finite life where it's finite. Where financial planning, I can do it for the rest of my life. So I decided to go play pro first and then come back and do this do this job. So and that I was lucky enough that I did what. 13 exams, 13 exams in two years. And while I was playing pro, I was keeping up to date with the new information coming out and, and, and so on. So that when I did decide to retire, that I could go directly into that field. So again, I went directly to that field. I went to RBC Domain Securities, and then I was working on futures, doing futures, options, and just handling money for high net worth clients. And then I decided to go to the bank. So for me, I never, I went straight into the field that, that I wanted to. I knew investments was always, always the thing for me, right? I had, I left all my options open because I could have easily gone and done my CFA or my CA. I had done all my courses on the accounting side and on the finance side just when I, if I wanted to do either of these designations when I came back. But when I came back, I went right away into the field and just fell in love, just fell in love with the financial planning aspect and the investments aspect. So finance is where I decided to go. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad the process was a little bit easier for you. I know a lot of people sometimes take the longer road where they go through customer service and they get their BAs and then they just work their way up to where you are. Uh, but it seemed to me that there was another option, especially for you specifically, where you were fast tracked into the position that you have um, currently now as a financial planner. And it was it was nice to hear a little bit more about that process. Fast tracked. It's, it's interesting that you do say fast tracked. I mean, yes, I I was given an opportunity with the connections that I had built. Um, but again, one of the main things I was. I, I want people to understand this. Like my first two years as a financial planner or an associate investment advisor, I was working from pretty much seven thirty in the morning to eight thirty, nine o'clock at night. <laughs> right. So the day the day would start at seven thirty because I had to learn so much information since I was in I was in the industry. Right. So I had to learn so much information. For so from 7:30 to 9:30, the amount of reading that I did within those two hours, I had time to get on track pretty much with any geopolitical situation that was going on, um, where interest rates were going, um, what people were talking about that may affect the market before that nine 
9.30 bell, right? During it from 9.30 to 4, while the markets were on, I was working constantly with clients and investments in stocks and so on. But then from pretty much 5 o'clock when the day ended, it was, I was either there studying until 8, 9 o'clock to make sure that I had all my exams. So like I said, 13 exams in two years, I was literally taking the exam almost every six weeks. Wow, okay, so you sound very dedicated. I don't believe I know anyone in the banking industry that does it that way. So I'm gonna add dedication to your your list of of skills. You're very dedicated. Well, thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. I I will also have to throw in that you are a nerd. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you had to throw that one. Of course. I was like, okay, he's going to prove to me that he really is a nerd. I remember mentioning it in the beginning. Um, so you did multifaceted all... Multifaceted re- is good. Multifaceted. multifaceted is good. You... We'll call it multifaceted instead of just being a nerd. All right. That's a nicer way of, of, of saying nerd, but okay. Got it. <laughs> so you had already explained a little bit about what a what you do as a financial planner. I still would like you to kind of break it down a bit more so that the audience can understand. I would like for you to explain what a financial planner does for individuals and list some of the, the products um, that is beneficial or anything that of substance to that question. Okay, no problem at all. So as a financial planner, let's, our first meeting would be a discovery meeting. So that meeting is probably the most important meeting of it all because that's where I figure out what your goals object, and objectives are, right? I need to figure out what's more important to you. So my client would come to me and say, Oz, I want to retire in 10 years. Will I have enough money to meet my retirement? Oz, my, my kids, they're approaching university. Um, how do I need to invest this money? Oz, I also have my business here. I have my corporate my corporation. I want to have a succession plan that that can that can help me in the future when I do decide to retire. And then lastly, I want to talk about estate planning and how I can minimize my taxes so that my estate stays intact for my next generation when 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 I go. Right. So those would be the first thing that that I do. So I would ask my client to say, okay, well, what's more important? Give me the order between one to four, right, of what's more important. Let's let's go, let's prioritize each of them one at a time. So from there, I would figure out what type of risk tolerance that my client has. So if it's somebody that's conservative, if it's somebody that's more of a balanced investor, growth investor, aggressive growth investor, I have to make sure that each of my clients understand that there's a risk, risk to return ratio, right? You can't have high returns without taking high risk. So they have to understand that because everybody wants a guaranteed income or their guaranteed capital, but yet they want as much return as possible. And that's probably the biggest challenge for me as a financial planner is to make people understand that you can't get the high reward without the high risk, right? Now it doesn't need to be a speculative risk, but there has, you have to understand that there is a risk to it. and. What most people think when they take risk is that the money that you give me to invest could go all the way from what it is at this point to zero. And that really rarely happens if you're in a well-diversified strategy, even though you're an aggressive growth investor, which is taking the highest level of risk. You know, portfolios, even in 2008, I mean, portfolios has never gone to zero. Now, if you're taking a gamble on weed or you're taking a gamble on Nortel or you're taking a gamble on 
let's say crypto and that goes bad then that's something completely different from what we do we are more a well diversified portfolios that are going to help you in the long term and make you wealth in the long term not a quick fix trying to be a millionaire okay okay the products that we offer it, it really differs really differs of, of the individual right i don't like talking too much about product it's it's always setting a customized plan for each individual at that certain point in time right um for example buying cannabis in canada may not be as good as right now than buying cannabis in canada in 2015 right um right now like last year technology was one of the main asset classes that made the highest return understanding the environment and what we were in where everybody was working from home so companies like DocuSign companies like Apple com- com- companies like Facebook and Snapchat and internet security CrowdStrike all of those companies Zooms of the world You know, they've done very, very well because of the environment that we were in, right? Where this year it's more companies like the banks, energies that have done really, really, really well, right? So it all depends on the environment, where we're going, and just doing as much reading as possible to understand the, the economic indicators and so on. Oh, wow. Okay. You just taught me a lot. I know I just started stocks, uh, doing stocks around 2020. Um, so 2020 was a year that I just kind of did a, a few research myself where I just sat down and, and listed all of the things that I'm interested in investing in. And some of the things that you mentioned is exactly what I did. I, I bought some stocks for technology for 2020 and I made a list of um, the banking industry, energy uh, industries, um, stocks and things like that, and which I specifically wanted to invest in. And so that's the next step for this year going forward. So the fact that you mentioned that, you know, you do these research for people, a lot of people don't really have the time to do that. They sit down with you, they tell you their direction, they tell you where they want to go, how they want to to build um, their wealth for themselves and for their family. And you also sit down and break it down for them. But with your knowledge base of researching every single day, the markets out there and what would best get them to the level that they're looking for, I find that very comforting (laughs) because doing it myself, it's a lot of work. Yes, it's definitely a lot of work in professionals for it. I've always had this discussion with people. I say, look, like I think I'm a pretty smart guy, but I can't be smart in every area. I can't know every area, right? So I don't try to tell my dentist how to do their job. I don't try to tell my doctor how to do their job. I don't try to tell my mechanic how to do their job. I don't, I'm sure I could learn how to be a mechanic, I'm sure I could learn how to be a doctor, right? But that's, they are the doctor, they are the professional, that's what they do every single day of their life, and that's what I think every single day of my life. So, you know, unless you're in the industry working at it for eight, nine, 10, 12 hours every single day, your expertise or the amount of research that you can make will of course be lower than the amount of research that I can make. That's very true, that is very true, and you actually know where, where to look, how to look, you see the numbers quickly because you've been doing this for a long period of time so you know what their investment and return is going to be so i I do appreciate that as well you did mention that there is no minimum amount 
of investment to sign on with you as a financial planner. Uh, but you did also say, you know, 500 or a thousand. So what is the minimum? Even though you said there isn't one, it seems to me like the minimum would be about 500. Not necessarily. I mean, we can, you can start at a portfolio putting $25 every two weeks if you wanted to. That's not a big deal at all. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. I was just checking because I, I don't know, every time I've seen you before, you've always seemed to be working with a lot of clients that have uh, a bigger amount in their bank account. Yes, yes, you are <laughs> right. I, <laughs> I do work a lot with higher net worth, but that doesn't mean that you can't help somebody with $25 because $25 to them is like a million dollars to the millionaire, right? Mm -hmm. So that's essentially what I was talking about in the start of why I started this job, right? There is no such thing as, oh, that's, that's not money that means much, if you know what I'm saying, right? Like people going, oh, wow, a million is a large amount, right? Yes, it and is. To that millionaire, to that millionaire, it may not be. Yeah, they might see it as $25. Right? <laughs> exactly. So to that person that literally is working minimum wage all their lives to save up a certain amount of money and they're able to save up, let's say $20,000. Well, that's as much of, uh, of work as it is for that millionaire that spends a lot of time in his work as well, but is able to just get paid way more because of the education, because of the field, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, and it's funny that you mentioned that because I remember talking to a few people that were wealthy and you know there was somebody in the group that wasn't really wealthy and that person specifically said oh you know my goal is to become a millionaire and i remember the wealthy person just kind of looking at them and saying you know a million dollars is isn't really that much it's not a lot of money and i remember sitting there thinking you know for poor people a million dollars sound great but to them it's like honestly a million dollar really is not enough that's right. So for you to bring that up and, and to, to explain that the mindset of the rich is that that's million dollars that everyone seems to be chasing. It, it, it seems so big, but it, when you put it all together and you start buying the houses and the cars and traveling, it goes really fast. Yeah, and it depends a lot on your lifestyle. It really depends on your lifestyle. So for somebody that is, let's say, making you know, forty, fifty, eighty thousand dollars, but that lives um, within their means, it makes sense, right? But if somebody's like I also have clients that are making five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred thousand dollars a year and are in debt because wow. they have the million or two, three million dollar home that they're paying stuff on. They have multiple cars that, you know, they're they're paying on. They they have four or five children that they need to put through private school so you know it, it, it really depends about your lifestyle and your expenses right so if your expenses are more than what you make it doesn't matter if you make a million dollars if you spend 1.5 and for somebody that is that's making 30,000 and is only spending 20,000 he's actually richer than the person that is making a million but spending 1.5 wow okay okay all right. <laughs> what are some of the barriers that you face beginning this career? Oh, um, <laughs> I talk about this all the time. There's a few barriers that, that, that you face. Number one is the youth barrier for me. I, I remember having a client come to me in the office, and he's an older client. He said to me, you know, 
I love your attitude. I think you're a great person. I think you know exactly what you're talking about. But unfortunately, you know, you're just too young. And I I found it a little bit insulting at that point in time because I was like, really? He's like, yeah, honestly, like I said, I love you. It's, It's nothing about what you do you did everything very 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 well and i want to invest my money with you but i just can't because i don't feel like gone through enough of the bad time to actually know how you would react when those crazy times happen right so he's like i just need somebody that has a little bit more experience that's gone through the you know black mondays the tech wreck um the the financial crisis i went through that you know so he was like i just want one person that has a little bit more experience that know when the markets have gone really 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 bad and has been in the industry for more than than you have so the youth part was a was a big thing oh wow a big hurdle and this is an argument that i kind of have with a friend of mine as well is that they keep saying this a lot of the the older people keep telling younger people that you know you don't have enough experience yes we see that you have the drive we see that you have the knowledge but you don't have enough experience and so how are you supposed to get that experience if someone doesn't give you that chance well you you get that experience and my discussion with him was what is experience And he said to me, what do you mean? It comes with with time. And I go, okay, you're right. It comes with time, but not with age. And that was a big thing that he, he didn't really think about. I said, experience really comes with time, time and things that you have done and accomplished. You learn from your lesson. It doesn't necessarily come with age because somebody could be older, but haven't had as many experiences in life and therefore hasn't had a chance to learn, right? Because they didn't take risks and they didn't travel. They didn't think about other cultures. And in terms of putting in time, What I was saying to him was, in terms of time in the financial industry, I go, you will not find anybody else that works harder than I do, or you won't find anybody else that works 7.30 to 9.30. So a person that works seven hours a day for the next 10 years, and me working 14 hours a day for, let's say, the next five years, we're exactly at the same spot, but he's five years older than me. Oh, wow. While I'm listening to all of this thinking, damn, this man is hungry. You sound very hungry. (laughs) I, I think for me, the biggest thing that's that's a key contributor to my success is I started out being that underdog, being the person, and that's what made me successful in basketball too, right? I came from a small French school that was more about academics than it was about basketball, and I always wanted to outwork everybody. But when I did get to the top after winning five championships, you know, after being a successful financial planner, one of the top IRPs in in Ontario, I remind myself every single day that complacency is how, is the reason why I got to where I am right now. And it's complacency of other people, right? That opens the door for somebody that's hardworking and driven to step in and take that, that spot. So I remind myself every single day to keep on having the same attitude like I had nothing and I, had a, and I hadn't accomplished anything. And that's what it allows me to gain success for such a long period of time. I really appreciate that answer. I know that 
you know, saying that someone is hungry might come off rude, but I did not want to keep repeating the term drive. Drive is a hunger. It's it's a need to succeed. And I always felt this from you specifically that you really wanted to succeed and there was nothing anyone could do about it. So what were some of your actions that supported your success? Many entrepreneurs or people in your field, they're very proactive about the ways that they get their names out there. And I just wanted to know your strategy specifically on how you did it in the beginning to truly put you in the position where you are right now, where you are connecting with wealthy people and people that maybe can only afford $25 a month. Well, at the beginning, it was just number one, getting in front of as many clients as possible. So whether they had $25 or they had a million dollars, it didn't matter. I made the calls. I wasn't afraid of rejection. And I was able to get as in front of as many clients as possible. Once you start getting in front of clients, then your expertise starts showing. Once your expertise starts showing, they start telling your friends. They start telling people that are like-minded. They start telling their families, right? But in order for you to get the chance at a referral, you need to be able to do a good job. And able to get to do a good job, you need to get in front of as many people as possible, right? So for me at the beginning, it was just figuring out a way to get in front of as many people as possible, whether it's by email, by mail, by phoning them, by doing networking events, etc., etc. I was doing everything possible to get in front of people, you know, because if you only need one person to give you a chance and for you to do one good job and impress that one person for all of a sudden, they tell their friend, you impress their friend, they tell two more friends, two more friends tell three more friends, you're already at six people in there, and all of a sudden, it keeps on going that way to a point where now when you've been doing it for uh, since 2013 for me, so for eight years now, that now people go, they know me, they knew me as Osvaldo the basketball player, and now they know me as Osvaldo the, the financial partner. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. On the topic of generational wealth, people have used this experience to just specifically for investment properties as an effective way to generate generational wealth. What are some other effective ways to do so? Well, that's always interesting because the investment aspect can get you, I would say, anywhere between 5 to 10%, depending what, what risk profile you, 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 you're at, right? Where property usually grows with inflation, so it grows 2 to 3%. Let's not talk about the one-offs or the special times that we've been in, like in Toronto, the market's been crazy, at least 8%. Um, in Ottawa this past year, the market's been crazy as well. In Montreal, the market's been kind of crazy. Those are the one-offs okay, that don't happen very often. Traditionally, properties grow anytime or at around 3%. And what I have, what I need people to understand, and, and I'm going to go through this because I think it's important. So I have clients that come up to me and says, you know, Oz, why would I take 200000 or $50,000 and give you, let's call it $100,000. Why would I give you $100,000 when I could put $100,000 on a property that grows, uh, a property of $500,000 that's going to grow? And they look at me, they go, well, you know, after 10, 20 years, that property is going to be at $900,000 or whatever it is, and I'll make a $400,000 profit. And they go, can you get me a $400,000 profit or grow my money to $900,000 if I give you $100,000? And I look at them and I say, well, you're not giving me, (laughs) 
not you're not giving me a hundred thousand dollars like I go make sure that you're giving me the same amount that you're giving the property and they go what do you mean I'm putting a hundred thousand dollars down and I go okay you're putting a hundred thousand dollars down but you're borrowing four hundred thousand dollars so I go really if you give me five hundred thousand dollars so a hundred thousand dollars that you would give for your down payment and borrow another four hundred thousand dollars and give me five hundred thousand dollars and I put that in a portfolio, I can guarantee you that portfolio will outgrow that house in the same amount of time. So where you think in 10 years that house will be at 900000 I'm telling you right now that you give me that $500,000 that my portfolio might be at $1.2, million, $1.3 million, Wow. Right? So mm-hmm. people don't think that when they actually invest in property that they have, that they're borrowing money, but they are borrowing $400,000 as a mortgage, right? Yes. So if you're gonna compare apples to apples, then you gotta compare five hundred thousand to five hundred thousand, not a hundred thousand dollar down payment. If that makes sense. The other thing too that I, I find in people in property is that they can't see property go up and down every day. Probably one of my biggest, the biggest part of my role is controlling people's emotions or understanding a client's emotions, right? Mm-hmm. And with property, you buy property, you leave it there, it grows for the rest of your life, right? Yes. You don't see it go up and down every day. While when you're in the market, you see it go up and down every single day. And a lot of people, when it goes down, they panic, right? So uh, they have to understand that what I like about people that invest in properties, it's once I make them understand that investing in properties is for a long term and also investing in the market is for the long term, they're okay with it. They're better with it. Some people might come to me and go, how about flips? And I go, yeah, well, in the markets too, like you can have a year in the market like last year where everything was up 20 to 30% after the March 21st drop because of COVID-19. Yes, that could happen. At that point in time, you can take your money out at any point in time. Just like a flip, right? But in a flip, you're taking a risk by renovating and putting it back to the market that it may not be as high as you thought it was as well. Yes. I I 100% agree with that. Well, thank you for breaking that down a little bit for me because I'm still struggling with the the definition of of generational wealth and what it really means. The majority of the people that I I speak to who are working on their generational wealth, um, single couples, uh, things like that, they just seem to be mostly focused on properties and owning multiple properties. But in my mind, when I think about owning multiple properties, I think about the headache that comes with owning multiple properties, the tenants that you know you have to vet to put into these properties. And a lot of people don't really take care of, of your investment. So I feel that you know, you're still losing a lot of money owning these multiple properties. I and- think in order to really do generational wealth orchid is you have to diversify your portfolio, right? So I always tell my clients, like, being only in property is wrong. Being only in the markets is wrong. Being only in insurance is wrong. I think you should have uh, all of it. I think you should have some money in the market. I think you should have some money in properties. And I think you should be well insured, right? Because insurance is one of the easiest ways to make sure that your next generation is well taken care of. What do you mean by insurance? Like buying insurance? Life insurance, yeah. Life insurance is the easiest way in terms of intergenerational wealth money that you won't use once you're gone, the easiest way to do it is with life insurance, right? The premiums are very, very difficult sometimes when you're when you're alive and they may seem like they're a little bit too much, but once 
you pass away, there's a big chunk that goes to, towards your beneficiary, mm-hmm. right? So if you're willing to invest some money while you're living, knowing that when you pass away, that your main goal is for your next generation to be great, then that's a way of doing it as well. So for me, it's I always tell people, yeah, get life insurance. Make sure you buy life insurance. Make sh- If you have the money, make sure that you invest in property and you invest in stocks. Where, where you start doesn't really matter. If the first time you, in the little bit of money you have saved up, you decide to go into properties and then you save up again and you decide to go in the market and then you save up again and then you, and you do life insurance, that's great, right? It doesn't matter which one comes first as long as you're saving and as long as you're thinking that one day you're going to get all three, for example. Okay. All right. In the beginning, you had mentioned legacy and that once you went to one of the reasons why you went to Carleton University is because you had the opportunity to create a legacy for yourself. What is a legacy that you envision for yourself as a financial planner? And where, where are you hoping to, to get to with this career? I'm sure you don't want to be behind a desk reading numbers this <laughs> entire time. <laughs> it's not. For me, legacy is not about... So much as a financial planner or about legacy as a basketball player. I really think for me, less legacy is the legacy that I want to leave as a person. The other things will 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 just will just happen, right? So the legacy that I always wanted to leave as a person was at my funeral, if if people could write a speech about me, what I want them to write is to say, you know what, this guy was the most the hardest working person that I've ever met. Mm-hmm. He was the most caring person. That I've ever met. He was the most determined person that I ever met, and he was the most confident and unafraid of failure that I've ever known. And if those are the things that happens or that somebody could say about me, then you know what? Everything else, I've already left a legacy because I know that if I'm the hardest working person, the most confident, the most determined, the most caring, I know that I'll be able to win championships when I play basketball. I know if I'm the most confident, the hardest working, the most caring, uh, and the most determined, I know that as a financial planner, I'll be able to help so many families, and I'll be always at the top because clients will always want to work with me above anyone else because they trust me, and they know that those four things, that's what they can put their faith on. Not just the fact that they're getting 5 to 10%. It's the fact that I care more, that I'm more determined, that I'm more confident, and that I'm the hardest working person that they'll find. Okay. All right. Well, listening to all of this, I do realize that you have thick skin. You do not allow anything to get in your way or hold you back. Based on your experience, what would your advice be to someone going into this career? Uh, if I... If- yeah, if I was gonna give an advice to a younger me is, you know, don't don't let anybody believe make you believe that you can't accomplish what you wanna accomplish. And don't let anybody make you set smaller goals because they tell you that it's impossible. You know, and I and I know it's a cliche. I know it's a cliche. I know a lot of people see the different motivational spe- speeches on Instagram, but it, it, it's true. It's true, right? Don't let somebody tell you that you can't like set lofty goals. Set bold goals because the bold goals, the lofty goals are the ones that's going to make you have a disciplined process, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's easy to say you want to be a winner, right? Every I don't know of a team that says, you know, in the beginning of the year, I, I don't want to win. I don't want to be a champion. But I don't think there's many people that really understand the work that you need to put in to be a champion and the teams that actually become champion 
are the ones that actually put in the work and have a disciplined process towards their goal. All right. Honestly, thank you for sharing that. This is one of the reasons why I really wanted you on this podcast is because you are one of the most motivating and inspiring person I know just through your work ethic, not the way that you speak, but the way that you work. And so I feel that anyone who's listening to this podcast episode can feel that energy and understand how intentional, intentional you are with every aspect of your life. I just feel like you've planned out your your entire life. And even when things don't go according to plan, you somehow know how to restructure yourself and bounce right back like nothing ever happened. And so this this is a reason why I really wanted you on this podcast episode. Well, thank you for having me. <laughs> so you said that you work uh, at the financial institution RBC, so that's where people can access you, correct? Yes. All right. And how can people follow you? You can follow me on Instagram. Um, uh, my Instagram is ogent43. And also you can send me an email, uh, RBC Financial Planning. Um, you, If you Google my name, send me a message. I'm here to help people and give advice. So please, if you do have any questions, you can also reach out to Orchid. She has my email. Um, I don't want, I won't guarantee that if you flood my email that I'll answer every single one, but I'll try my best to, to at least answer a few. All right. I know you also have a LinkedIn account. So guys, you can also access him on LinkedIn. So that is, that is another thing. So just go on LinkedIn account, punch in Osvaldo Genti. He will pop up. You'll see that big head and, uh, follow him. (laughs) I don't have a big head. She's lying. <laughs> the island just came out. She's lying. All right. All right. So thank you so much, so much for participating in this podcast episode with me today. I I hope to have you in the future for other podcast episodes to talk about things that are not necessarily related to uh, financial planning. I'm sure you have a lot of expertise. You sound like an incredibly intelligent uh, black man and so I, I i hope to have you on for other topics that are non-related no problem at all thank all you right. again for having me and uh, all the best thank you have a good day thank you, you too i hope you all enjoyed this podcast episode don't forget to click the follow button under tao intentions podcast on apple Podcasts, google Podcasts, and spotify support our guests by following their social media pages visit our social media pages for updates on our guests per week and our guests on the YouTube channel. Our social media pages are Facebook at The Ambitious Obsession, Instagram and Twitter at The Ambitious Ops. Share your favorite podcast episode with your family and your friends, and I hope you have a splendid day.